I got a question for you. What's your go-to Paul Starbucks order? I don't really care for Starbucks much. I guess I don't do my orders based on seasons, and I don't have Starbucks near me. But if I'm going to Starbucks, I would rather get something different than I usually get, which is a black coffee, which we discussed. Um, but I would get a flat white with this one. You've been obsessing over flat whites lately. I'm obsessing until I can't have them. You're on a hunt for that flat white. What's a flat white? It's basically a latte, but with more espresso. So it's like three shots of espresso, maybe? I like milk. Mm. What's yours? Uh, pumpkin cream cold brew, half sweet. Always have to get it. August 26th. Did you get one on August 26th? I did, and I got one this morning. What are your thoughts on pumpkin? <laughs> I don't really care for pumpkin, honestly. I don't really like pumpkin stuff, like pumpkin pie. I like carving pumpkins, but Welcome to our podcast, where we talk about grad school. I'm your host, Jeanette. I'm another host, Keaton. And I'm another host, again. And we are going to talk about the good, the bad, and the grad. So we are talking about some dilemmas today. Maybe they're research dilemmas, maybe they're grad school dilemmas, but we thought we might do a fun episode <laughs> where there are dilemmas. This is our understanding of fun. Um, but, okay, I'll start and then we'll move on from there. So you go to a conference. You're prepared, let's say it's your first conference, you're pumped, and you go there, and there's someone else with the same exact research as you did. What would you do? Is it the same exact methodology you want to do or did? Yes. So everything's the same. And they present before you? Yes. Am I in the same, like... Session. Oh. Is it better than what I'm going to do? I don't know. You'll find out. (laughs) I think that'll, like, if it's a really bad presentation, I'd probably be hyped. Because I'm like, oh, let me just back clean up here. But if it's very good, I, I don't know. It's hard to follow that up. You'd really have to be, like, spinning, you know? Like, especially if it was, like, same methodology, same topic same findings, you really have to find a way to kind of point out something that they didn't. Because otherwise, yeah, you just get up there and you're just like, hey, you've already seen a good presentation. I'm just going to stand here for 15 minutes. 
would you though? I'd probably cry. I'd cry and then I'd have to <laughs> quickly compose myself to figure out, I guess, how to make myself stand out more than my research, I feel. Be up there cracking jokes or something? Yeah. yeah. All of a sudden my personality would completely change. I'd be a comedian up there. Just figure out different ways to engage. But like, if it was, I've never presented at a conference, so I think if it was my first time ever presenting too, I, I would just go up there and just say it and then get it out over with and be done as soon as possible. Would you feel like you would have to justify yourself for some reason? Like, I'm not copying this person. This is my original research. I think in that case, like, your justification, I guess you would just make make it more personal because no one can ever like take that away from you. But you would be reaching on some some things. But then also too, obviously there's a need for this kind of research. But if if you had to justify it. But I have another question about that dilemma. Oh, okay. Is the person who's presenting before you, are they like a very established scholar, or are they also like a grad student? They received an award at that conference the year before for being like 20 years in the career, like established prof. Oh, so they're like a, like they're they're a big, big name. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think you can really come back from that one, you know? Like, there's like the the golden scholar in your field doing the research that you're doing. They're probably going to be doing it better, you know? Why would you say that? Because they've been doing it for a lot longer. Yeah, but maybe you bring... A little bit of freshness, no, a little youth to it. The dilemma was they have the exact same topic, exact same methodology. So how would I be doing it better? Maybe it's their first time doing, like, trying that methodology. Now I think we're getting a little too far-fetched now. Cause, <laughs> you know, why is someone like... I feel like if you're that established, you're not going to reinvent yourself. Just on your own. Maybe they're having a midlife crisis and they want to do something new. And so you're going to say that we did a better job than them? Oh, maybe you did. Well then, I don't know, man. <laughs> let's, let's go. <laughs> It'd be interesting to, to be in that dilemma. I mean, it has to happen, though, because new research, like, there's always, like, waves of incoming research, you know, a topic gets really popular and everyone kind of jumps onto that topic, which is good, you know, it's needed, these topics are generally understudied, but you're going to have a lot of people, like, you know, kind of flooding into this, like, new vein of research that hasn't been explored yet. So yeah, people probably go to conferences all the time and are like, oh damn, like sitting there like, oh, this is 
this is brand new, and then yeah, all of a sudden there's four or five other presentations that are also studying the thing. The odds of it being the exact same as your own research, though, that would be that'd be very fluky. Yeah, you'd hope that like findings were different. We're all different people. We could do the same thing, but I think you and I would find different stuff out of our our data. Well, that's the that's the beauty of qualitative research, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, I feel like if you went to a conference and this dilemma happened, and you were a quantitative person, and like you had completely different numbers, that's going to be interesting because now you're really like you really got to like sell like this person did a thousand surveys and they got this outcome. You did a thousand surveys, you got the complete different outcome. What's going on here? But then I guess that's how you would sell it, is like, there's something different. Yeah, you'd question that more. If you, if you went to a quantitative presentation, they did the exact same research, same methodology, and then their numbers were different, I'd be, I'd have a lot more questions than if you were a qualitative research. Because I'd have questions if you were a qualitative researcher and you had the exact same findings as someone else. Yeah. That would be also kind of odd. Good dilemma. Good dilemma. Good question, Hecken. Keaton, what's your dilemma? My dilemma is, say you're talking to a professor, and this doesn't necessarily have to be your supervisor, but it's, a, it's like a professor, you somehow know, you're interested in their work, whatever. You have a conversation with them, just casual. You're talking like, hey, I'm really interested in your research. Let's set up a Zoom call. You have the Zoom call. It goes great. You're talking. You're like, oh, man, this, this scholar is so smart. And like you're like, oh, I have all these great ideas. And you tell them like a really good research idea that you've been saving. And then, like, a year later, that scholar publishes a paper that's exactly on your idea. And when you mentioned it to them, they were like, oh, I've never thought of it. Like, like they were mine. Like, you blew them away. They, they, they were like, holy, how did no one, how has no one seen that gap? Like, that's going to change the game. Great idea. And then, yeah, a year later, they just, they just take it. Especially because you'd still be a student. So, like, you know, I feel like it's different if you're, like, a fully established academic and then someone steals your idea. I feel like, you know, you could probably, like, you could probably cause some, you know, cause a ruckus. Whereas with a student, you know, is anyone going to believe you that, you know, are you going to be the person who's like, I had that idea first. I thought of Facebook a year before <laughs> Facebook was a thing. You know? So that's my dilemma. I would cry, so... <laughs> that's my first response yeah. to any dilemma. Is <laughs> cry. Let it out. We are very big supporters of showing your emotions here on this podcast. Um, I mean, it would suck. Um, and... I don't know. Maybe you'll write them an email. Like, a very... Um, an email filled with metaphors, not the direct context, but it's like, um, 
I have this person that stabbed me in my back once. Have you ever heard about that story? <laughs> um, yeah, what would you do? Yeah, that's tough. Especially if it was like a part of your own research that you were really like excited for or like was like a really big deal. Like it was like, I have this, there's a gap I've identified. You're talking to the scholar because maybe they've done something that's kind of near that or, you know, you're really into the way they've studied things in the past. They have knowledge on the topic. You just wanted to kind of pick their brain and you mentioned this really good idea and they just kind of pick it up and run with it. Yeah, I don't know how, I don't know how you, because you can't really just call them at it, because like, I feel like if you're like, hey, you stole my idea, that's kind of going against like the academic camaraderie that should exist, you know, like, we shouldn't be gatekeepers to our own, like, research and ideas, and it's like, if there's a gap, someone's got to fill the gap, like, we should be happy, but yeah, this dilemma is, that gap that you have, that you found, you're like, I'm going to do it. You have this great idea, and then someone else takes it. Maybe you just need to do better. Like, you need to do something much better and be like, there you go. This is mine. It's better than yours, even though you stole my idea. I just, like, follow them to every conference they went and presented on and just haunt them. <laughs> just, <laughs> just ask them oh, oh, tough questions. Would be a face in the back? Yeah. I would just, like, because I, I think deep down, like, you'd hope that somebody would have, like, a guilty conscience. Because they, they would know that they stole your idea. Yes. They would know. And so if I just showed up all the time and looked them in the eye as they presented... And then ask tough questions, I think they would eventually crack. And go, this is the mastermind behind this idea. But they did the research, though. So it's not like you can be, it's not like they stole your research from you. They just took an idea that you had mentioned. But then put me as a co author. <laughs> I, take, I take fifth. I take sixth. Come on. Yeah. I have no shame. Come on. Just get me on that list somewhere. I'd be the dot, dot, dot. <laughs> I worry, though, that if, now I'm worrying, this was supposed to be fun, <laughs> but I'm like, I worry if, like, that obviously happens. Like, yeah, I think yeah. as much as we're like, oh, like a hypothetical dilemma, that definitely has happened in the past, and then I think now maybe it just, it happens, but it's a little bit more behind closed doors, but you, like, out. Like, what do you share with people? At what stage mm -hmm. would you share an idea with somebody? I think it could, like, that whole, you know, directions for future research, right? I don't think everyone's just out here being like, I'm going to spill it all and, like, give away everything that I think this research could lead to. Because, I, you know, probably as a scholar who did the research, you're probably going to build off it, too. So, yeah, I think it's, like, this idea of, sharing information, but then again, if you're withholding stuff, you're not probably being a good academic community member. Yeah. And yeah, ideally, people don't steal your ideas. What if this dilemma was done with, like, another grad student, though? Like, say you go to a conference, and you're talking with, like, another grad student, and you make mention of this great idea you have, and they just, they, you know, a year from, a year later, they're published with your idea. Because now it's not like, there's not this power 
dynamic between like you know an established scholar it's like someone you met at a conference you're both same year of grad school you were just like oh man i have some great ideas and they were like oh yeah i never thought of that before and then boom they take it that's like then it's haunting time. Then for it's me. haunting time. <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't haunt a professor, but I would haunt a grad student. I would do it better. No. Because I also think that my mind is if I came up with the idea and I was innovative enough to have this like fresh, cool I don't know if it's a cool idea, but <laughs> this fresh, cool new idea for research, I know that I could I would do it better than them because if they have the brain and the heart to not to not own up to being like that's that wasn't my idea like I give credit to this person who kind of prompted the idea then I know your brain doesn't have the capacity to produce as as good of research as I would okay yeah my skills are better if I can come up with the idea I I definitely think that would be like academic beef time. Like that person who stole your idea, you enter academia together, wherever they go, like you would just always like you they publish, you're publishing a rebuttal. Like you're just gonna be on them forever. <laughs> yeah. And it's just gonna be like this never ending like fight between you. I really like those papers where it's like their response to Dr. So-and-so's paper, and they, like, publish a paper just to do a response to another paper. It'll be like that. Oh, I was, I was reading some stuff this summer that was like that. It was, yeah. It got, it got heated. <laughs> it got heated. Like, people were... And then, like, eventually the rebuttals weren't getting published, so this, <laughs> the academics had to just post them on their blogs. <laughs> and, like, they would not let it go. But, yeah, it's interesting. And like in the simplest way, someone is taking away your joy of mm. doing that research yourself. Like you do the things you do because you like them, and then you they are just taking it away from you. You're like so excited about this thing, and then you're like a child, who, like stealing candy from a baby. Yeah, basically. Yeah, like, it. When you just drop your ice cream on the ground. Yeah. It, it kind of makes me think of, you know, The Office when they're trying to hire a new manager and they have Will Arnett come in and he's like, I can't give you the whole plan because then you'll just steal it. So I'll give you part two, stage one of the grand scheme. And they're like, okay. And it's just like the most like ambiguous thing ever, like. Is that how you have to talk in academia? Like, you know, you always got to be wondering, like, oh, is someone going to take my idea? Is someone going to just snatch it? I don't want to lock the halls like that. <laughs> I guess you have to choose your friends, right? Yeah, you'd have to, like, you have to sense somebody's energy. Now I'm kind of wondering what coming up with this dilemma if I can trust you with my research yeah, ideas. So let's too. transition to great research topics. Yeah, <laughs> like, wow. Okay, you go, Janet. Oh, dilemma. Hmm. 
Hmm. When I'm put on the spot, my mind goes blank. Um. Um. <laughs> okay. So you're doing research, and you have this great plan, and you want to execute it. But you can't fart, find any. <laughs> That's a bit. I can't do this. When you put me on the spot, I crumble. Okay, we're gonna read you. This one isn't as detailed as yours, and I guess it's not as hypothetical. Fart. Fart on your Okay, what happens when you have this great research idea? You've proposed ethics. Says it's great. And you can't find any participants. What do you do? That's when you cry. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think finding participants for me, for my master's thesis, was very long. Like, a lot longer than I thought it would be, which is interesting, because I was like, oh, I have a pretty generic topic that, like, in terms of, like, participants would want to talk about it, and there's a lot of the pool was very large I could pull from. But yeah, finding people to like participate in research is not easy. And I think like in that case, that dilemma, eventually you gotta get to a point where it's like like you know like okay, clearly whatever I'm doing, either it's my recruitment methods or you know, the methodology I've approached it with, like something is limiting people from coming into the study. So yeah, I think you play this waiting game, and then eventually you get to the point where it's like, okay, I gotta, I gotta change something. And is it you change how you recruit? Do you change the data collection methods? Like maybe your methods are too intense for someone to agree. Maybe they're too long. You know, I think like with longitudinal research, which is like something I'm interested in doing, but the idea of trying to find a participants who would want to, like, spend a year being in my research, that's, like, uh, how am I going to ask someone to do that? So, like, yeah, I could have, like, this great idea, and I'm like, oh, this would be cool. But then, yeah, finding the participants, and you can't, eventually you're going to have to get to a point where it's like, no, something, I'll have to adjust the way I want to study this in order to get those participants. I don't know how long you wait for Well done. <laughs> yeah. and that's, that's too real. real. That's yeah. too real life. That's not, yeah, that's not a hypothetical. That's just no, that's that's qualitative real, yeah. research. That's qualitative <laughs> research. <laughs> I don't have. Okay, here's one. You have a great relationship with your supervisor. Everything's going well. They're meeting your expectations. You're meeting their expectations. You're proposing. You're in your research. And then you need to go defend, and they go to jail. <laughs> that, I think, that, that's got to be an academic handbook thing. Surely the institution has, has something in there. I have a follow-up question. Mm -hmm. What do they go to the jail for? What's, like, what's the crime? I would like to say, like, <laughs> does that change? But I think it would. It will change my perception of them, like, because yeah. 
the academic handbook will always have an answer for a procedure. Like your committee will um, work in behalf of your supervisor or whatever. Mm-hmm. But let's let's figure yeah. what crime there. There's so, so many think, different crimes yeah. you can go to jail. Like if they were and let's say they were protesting peacefully. Yeah. But it turned a little what aggressive. Did, what did <laughs> I don't they do? know. And if if they went to jail for like advocating and like peacefully protesting yeah, something that's important is important. I think I'd be like I'd be fine. Yeah. But if they went to jail for anything else <laughs> <laughs> I think the dilemma though isn't your personal relationship. It's isn't it about the defense that's coming up? Well now it's about both. <laughs> yeah. Now it's a yeah. personal thing. And because I think your answer of how, like, there's got to be something in the handbook that would help me get through my defense. But now I've had this person who's working alongside me this whole time, and they went to <laughs> They were a cannibal, and then you have, like, like, they have influenced and helped you and supported you throughout your journey of this research. And you had meals at their house. And all of a sudden, they <laughs> so fed you. like Dr. Lecter here. Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm doing a PhD in criminology, yeah. and I'm like, hey, Dr. Lecter, what's this meat? This is delicious. Thanks for dinner. Yeah, what if they were, like, doing their own side research of what it's like to be a, a cannibal and have a grad student? Autoethnography study And they were, like, researching me. <laughs> So they're researching, (laughs) so my supervisor in this hypothetical is researching me from their perspective of being a cannibal and like wanting to eat me or No, or wanting to feed me. They're turning you into a cannibal. Yeah, so they're feeding me. slow conversion. And to, to gain my trust and my friendship. They became my supervisor in my research study. Okay, well, yeah, I, <laughs> this is why you can't put me on the spot. It gets too wild. I have two. I have two things. One's a question, <laughs> and then one's okay. I'll just, I'll just start with the question. <laughs> what? Like, I'm. I'm. What was the point of the research? Like, like were they planning on publishing this? Like. Maybe, yeah. To understand cannibals. Social behavior, psychological yeah. behavior of people's tendency to consume human flesh. There you go. Publish wow. it. Wow, boom. I think he'd better be on the phone with your REB because that that does not sound ethical. <laughs> what if it's in a place where REBs don't exist? That happens. <laughs> I swear I read a book where REBs don't exist in certain countries. Or like they're the REB chair. Yeah. <laughs> so they pass their own research project. And they just took it maybe a little too far. They got caught. And they put your name on the research so that they can approve it. What if they're what if they are researching why is this my dilemma? Because I'm thinking now, I'm like, what if they're a cannibal but they're only they're only eating Bad people. 
It's like a so then they're re- hungry Dexter. <laughs> yeah, so then they they essentially are validating like their purpose and they think that we need to so we like, need to share this research with the rest of the world because it's a a more sustainable way to <laughs> I'm just going down a weird hole now. <laughs> So this is like a like a cannibal vigilante yeah. out here who's doing an academic cannibal vigilante. I'd be upset. I'd cry if I found out I was subjected to this. There's the cry. Right? Yeah, I'd be happy they were behind bars. <laughs> I mean, I'm safe. I don't even eat meat. Yeah, so. I think I'm vegan now. Okay, I think a way we could like maybe direct this dilemma back to. A little bit more of the planes of reality. Jail. Yeah. <laughs> okay, what if your supervisor was arrested, or not even arrested, what if it just came out that they were academic frauds? Because that happens. Like, that happened not too long ago. I read a story about a professor who had all this great research, and then finally someone was like, looked at it, and was like, no, nah, this research is all just fake. And, like, they had, like, their PhD revoked, they got, like, fired from their tenure position, they had all their publications revoked. So, I guess, yeah, taking your dilemma, (laughs) we can go, we can continue discussing the research ethics of cannibal studies done on you without your consent. Or, yeah, or we could, yeah, so what happens in that case? You know, it finds out the person that you're working under might not be you know, the most rigorous with their academic conduct. Yeah. You'll have to play the victim. Like, you'll have to find another person and be like, you'll have to help me to play the victim-ish so that my name doesn't get tarnished with yeah. You'd have to work, yeah, extra hard so that didn't follow your reputation. You would almost have to like go above and beyond to show that you're still like what is that word a reputable mm-hmm. academic? Wow, I feel like a real grad student now. <laughs> um, you would have to you'd have to work hard to just make sure you didn't get associated with that. I'd cry though. <laughs> First, let's make that clear. I'm going to make a cry. Call. I was about to say, we should see how many times is crying an option. It's always an option. <laughs> when is it not an, an option? option? <laughs> I don't cry that often, actually. I cry like five minutes every day. I took that from, um, oh, what's that show? Apple TV could be our sponsor. Oh, I'm blanking. Shrinking? Shrinking, yeah. I don't watch that. And his mentor talks about you should play a song for like five minutes that makes you cry and you just cry. So I created a grief playlist and I cry every day. What's on the playlist? Um, there's a lot of cold play. Um, I've got some Florence and the Machine, um, some Bon Iver. Some I, I think it's actually Ever. Oh. Well, there you go. I'm glad you guys know. Um, So yeah, I cry because I'm also very worried that I'm going to cry at my proposal. So if I condition myself to 
cry at certain Maybe it'll be tears of joy. Oh, no. It won't. I'll feel everyone's energy in that room and I'll just cry. Uh, yeah, all right, maybe I. Maybe, you should cry more maybe often. Maybe you should uh, send me that grief playlist. <laughs> yeah. I have a song that makes me cry. The Christmas Shoes. You know that song? No. No. Oh, it's a very sad song. Is it? It is. You should. <laughs> you should add it to your playlist. <laughs> okay. Do we have any other dilemmas? Do you have another one? I don't. Maybe if we... Uh, okay, I have one for you. Just for me? Yes. Okay. I mean, it can be for you too. Let's say your partner is pregnant. And they want to stay where you're currently living with your baby. But you're offered uh, $200,000 a year paycheck, a tenure track, somewhere else that is eight hours away. By plane or car? By plane. Okay. And you don't have a job where you currently live. Like a actual, like you're just like doing, I don't know, occasional jobs here and there, like some research, but it's it's not like paying that well. Would you take it and go and leave your baby? <laughs> I don't think I'd leave my baby. <laughs> You're taking the baby and leaving the mom. No, I. I don't think I. I don't think I'd leave, but ideally, I would be in a better employment position than the one you described. I think it's uh yeah, I think that's like a, a very real dilemma that could happen, especially because like academic jobs are, like if it was, you know, to be a professor or something, obviously you got to go where there's job openings. So, you know, there's a lot of schools out there, but do they have openings? I don't know. So you, I think, yeah, you have to be willing to be flexible, but ideally if I'm having a baby, it's, I've, I've discussed it with my partner to be at a point where it's like, we know, we know the plan. Ideally, I'm not going to have kids until I'm, I'm like in a solid position. Okay. You took this way more serious than I was intending to, but okay. <laughs> I think that's a very real dilemma. It's yeah, <laughs> yeah. very real to leave. And baby. And baby. Uh, well, I, I would hope my partner would know what comes with being an academic. Yeah. But also, like, is my Ted partner? Also, he left. Yeah. You separated though. Oh right. Yeah. But he had an infant, or a, I he guess did. he's not an infant. <laughs> yeah. He's like a, he a, child. a child. Yeah. yeah. School age. <laughs> um. I don't know. Is my partner in a job that's like? Super awesome. Uh, they're just like rich. They're not working. Well, then I'm not working. <laughs> <laughs> but they're not sharing all their funds with you. Yeah, you signed a prenup. Yeah. And they have a very strict father that says like, no, cut that boy out. 
<laughs> so I'm just working. So I so in this hypothetical, I have a PhD and I'm just doing odd jobs. Because you couldn't find a like a like what's an odd job? job? Like not not odd job. It's like um, like you have a you teach a class every other term. You do your own research, but you're not directly affiliated with an institution. You no, don't I, have job security here, but you'd have job security elsewhere. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they're giving you a house. Does my partner want to go? No. No. Well, that seems... I don't know how you can dictate what my partner wants, but... <laughs> <laughs> this is a hypothetical world. Yeah. Because ideally you'd want somebody... Could I get an academic job closer (laughs) if I waited? No. Where am I living (laughs) in this (laughs) hypothetical? We're just going to come back with... (laughs) So so I'm getting pigeonholed into a situation that has no logical outcome. Um, It's life. Would my partner ever join me at my new place? <laughs> when your kid is 18. So the option really is, do I go and take a job and just never see my family again? <laughs> or do I stay with my family and never have a job? <laughs> and then also, my partner's rich enough that I don't need to work, but I don't get any money from them. You get, you get some, but you don't, like, you don't live the... Um, fun life that they live. So my partner's just like going off and just going on yeah. vacations and stuff. Yeah, and you gotta stay back. And, and your only motivation is to teach. And so now we're hard. dictating what I want to. Um. All right. I'll uh. I'll stay with my family. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Family man. I just don't think, like, you know, work is the most important thing, you know? It's important, but I don't think it's the most important. Put it in your CV. (laughs) (laughs) Will not leave family. (laughs) I think, yeah, like, you gotta think about, like, academic couples, too, right? Like, because, like, what are the chances... If you were like, even if, I, I don't know, what would be better? I guess this is a dilemma. Would it be better to have a partner who is also an academic and does the exact same stuff as you? Or would it be better to have a partner who's an academic who does something completely different, like completely different field from you? Second one. Yeah, because then you're, I don't think you'd want to be in competition yeah. with your partner. If you're doing the same kind of research, you'd be up for the same because I'm drawing for the same tenure track. Yeah, it will be very boring. And you'd want, you'd want, you either outcome is great, right? Because when you're in a partnership, like if one person is chasing their dreams and they're happy and they're in their own successes, and you are separate from that, and you guys come together, like you'd be happy for them, but you'd always be in competition. And I also think it would be boring. Like I don't want. Like, my friends talk about the similar stuff, like, we keep around like-minded people, so I wouldn't want my partner to be exactly, like, just, like, the other, like, slightly different version than myself. No. They need to be interested in something completely different. You need to have separate lives. Yeah, like, I need somebody who's interested in, like, 
Also, you need the benefit of somebody being interested in something. So, like, if they are interested in computer science, I'm not good at that. They can help me. And then if they don't really know much about <laughs> recreation and leisure, I can show them that. Yeah, but if they were in the same exact field as you, you might, like, peer review their stuff. Could you imagine? Like, y'all said... Would that not be a conflict of interest? Well, technically, it should be double-blind, so you aren't supposed to know it's theirs. I mean, yeah, yeah, ethically, you should be like, hey, I know who wrote this, but... Yeah, and then you'd have to say something. But what if you're in, like, a super-specific field of research, and they are also now... Like, there's only, like, four of you out there studying this thing. Yeah, but journals know that who is sending the papers, and why are they sending it to reveal? They kept their, uh, their premarital name. I would do that. I already say that right here, right now, to my future partner. I will forever be Jeanette Orb. So I would never be associated with, like, people wouldn't put two and two together if I was in an, with an academic. Are you trying to get around the system? <laughs> just in general. And just in general. Oh, okay. <laughs> but I just think, because that, that would happen, right? Where you wouldn't have the same last name, so how would people... Mm-hmm. But maybe you're like a power couple in this field. Like a, well like a Lincoln and Kuba. Like game changers. Yeah. So then people What's would the know. age difference again? I don't think we should talk about that. <laughs> 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 I don't want the I don't want the qualitative research police coming to you know? <laughs> um, Anyway. <laughs> any other any other dilemmas? Okay, sure, I got one. Now now my brain's ticking here, okay. Say you get your you get your your schooling done, and then you get offered a job, and it's a great job, you know, great pay, good place to live, but you can't do the research that you want to do in it. Like you're going there, and it's like you can teach what you want to teach, but like they're asking for like you're coming in, and it's a very specific research, like lane you have to stay in. So I get to do my own research um, like as a separate independently? No, they want you to just like, they're like we really need someone study to study this. Study like the no. exportation of mangoes. And like you know it. You I know, know it. that I do that. But it's not what you love. Like you, oh. it's like something that it's kind of like I kind I know enough about it to like Say I can study it, but can I do it for like two years and get out? No, you gotta stay for the entire tenure track. No, uh, no, you can't. You so you'd rather me. you'd rather have that research freedom. Yes, I do it you'd because st- I study the mangoes. I would study the mangoes mainly because I love mangoes and it'd be so interesting. Oh. <laughs> well, I should have picked a different fruit. <laughs> but I think I would stay mainly because. I don't think my whole identity is a researcher. I'm like a researcher, participant, and practitioner. So I think I could still have access to the things that I'm very interested in, but in a different role. So even though I'm a researcher and I'm on this specific topic that still would align with my core values, like if it's something that doesn't align with my core values, I wouldn't do it, but exportation or importation of... Mangoes mm-hmm. definitely aligns with my core beliefs. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, and interests me, but 
I could go out and do like because I'm interested in you know recreation and leisure, and I like to understand how that happens. I think I could still get that as a practitioner or a participant within there. Mm-hmm. So then my work, like you said, it's not everything. Yeah. Yeah, and if I'm in a beautiful place, that's just icing on the cake. Okay, what if you like flipped it then? Like you're going to school, tenure track, great place. You can study what you want, but you're coming in and they're like, we need you to teach these four courses. And you are not going to get to teach anything else. And they're, again, they're enough that you could, you could teach them. You're not, you're not an expert in them. And they're like the driest courses. I would do it. So, because I'm not a dry person. So. It would make the course not try. <laughs> what if the so, co- what if the course itself is like the worst course you've ever taken, and I you have to it. teach it? I would do it. I because okay, the teaching is like chores. You have to do them. You don't necessarily have to like it, but they support your living conditions. But the research for me is like the fun stuff. Like how do you enjoy life, in a way. So if not, if I'm not enjoying the research I do, it will be a chore to me. So why would I ever want to do that research anyways? See, I think I'm the opposite. You'd rather teach something. I'd rather teach something that I'm interested in, I can do, and then do research that then do research that I'm interesting and teach something dry. And I think only because my goals is I want to be able to teach. Mm-hmm. I want to really, like, the more I'm in academia, I'm like, okay, yeah, like, I like research. I like, and especially the way I do research, I really enjoy it. But I kind of see it as, like, okay, eventually like, I get to, to teach and I get to engage with, like, students that are interested in this and passionate about it we get to work together to shape how like i get the opportunity to create new researchers mm-hmm. if i'm teaching something that i'm passionate and i enjoy yeah i think i get access to that better than if i'm a researcher i guess that's a good point because yeah like maybe you're not researching something you exactly you know are super passionate about but like you could have grad students and then you can help those grad students research what they're passionate about yeah and i think the idea of like helping people achieve their research goals is very appealing in academia so i mean the ideal would be to teach something that you're passionate about and yeah but i think i could teach something more like that's not like my academic identity like i could teach a course on like academic writing I wouldn't say I'm like a passionate about academic writing but if that's like the course that I needed to come in and teach I could teach it you're a passionate about academic writing you're a, an APA nerd I I I am I do yeah it's a class that you like would yeah. you I'm trying to think of something you wouldn't like um like in in, re- in, like, in teaching because you're like, yeah, I'd do that. It's like, yeah, because you like it. Would you teach people how to swim? No. <laughs> I don't think they'd want me to. But you I have wouldn't. to. There's no one else. Oh, yeah. You're the only one that can so, do this. 
So they're like, we'll hire you, but you need to teach a swimming course. Yeah. yeah. I don't. First of all, that might be a really big. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, and a, then I'm like a starfish <laughs> level. I don't know. Is that good? I won't drown. I wouldn't be able to save someone, but... But you wouldn't drown, so you'd save yourself. <laughs> oh, yeah. So you're all my students. how to not drown. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think... <laughs> I think for me... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, I could teach things that aren't... Like, my, maybe my, like, passion. Like, again, I'm not saying, like, you know, they're going to be like, hey, teach this class that you are absolutely completely unqualified for and you would never be able to teach it, you know? Like, I'm not saying they're going to be, like, throwing astrophysics at me and being like, teach these kids how to calculate the stars. But, you know, like, getting a course that maybe isn't, like, the most exciting thing to you because, you know, there's a lot of topics in my research area that I personally am like, ah, they're important, but I wouldn't want to do them. But as long as I had that research freedom, because I think that's what's exciting in academia. And then eventually you are able to have grad students and help them achieve their research passions. I think that's, that's fun. But yeah, if I had to go somewhere and it was like, we need you to research exportation of mangoes, and that's it. And we don't want you to go outside that lane. Kind of goes back to this whole idea of like tenure tracks. Like people say, oh, you know, you have to you do whatever you have to do, seven, eight, ten years, whatever your tenure track is. And then once you get to that tenure track, you get it. Now you can have fun. I want the fun now, though. <laughs> yeah, ideally. Yeah. Ideally. And like, why not? Mm-hmm. Why do we have to conform to other people's way of thinking? Like, okay, just do what you got to do to get there. And then once you get there, then you have fun. I'm like, why can't we have fun along the way? Yeah. I mean, if you have the right supervisor who gives you the freedom to do your own thing and yeah. supports you, you'll have fun anyways. Yeah. But like, if I'm wanting to teach and be in the world of academia, like, I'm realizing the more I'm in it, that there's these little, like, steps that you need to take, and I want to take, like, the wobbly path, I don't want to take the the stairs. Yeah, I think, I've never understood people who could, like, study, like, research, you know, like, be a qualitative researcher, like, who just writes about qualitative research and studies qualitative research, you know? But I'm kind of understanding it now. Like, if you studied research, you could research anything. Because, like, your, your, your field is research. So, like, whatever the topic is, like, you could do anything. Like, you could be, like, you're, you're, if you're into, like, hot air balloons, you could study that. Because that's not the actual, like, your, your field or your, your expertise. It's actually the process of doing the research on hot air balloons. Yeah. Maybe that's an academic... Maybe there should be more researchers who study research. And then that way you can just study whatever you want. Yeah, you can hit all your your topics. That's all my dilemmas. Um, Don't worry about it. So, um... (laughs) You look like you're <laughs> you're still going. 
the gears are going in. Oh, yeah, yeah. I could just keep going. <laughs> <laughs> Let's have a rapid, fi- no. ra- rapid, rapid fire. fire. Rapid no. Okay. This isn't really a bad dilemma, but this is a good dilemma. <laughs> okay. Would you, st- if you like created like a framework, would you name it oh. after yourself? Absolutely not. First of all, oh, I would. I'm, I'm sorry. I think I, like I think frameworks. it'd be cool if someone was like <laughs> last name framework of whatever, and like people use that. That would be that'd be no. cool. No, but no. then it wouldn't really be that academic, academical, academically. Why? I don't know. Like, <laughs> I so many. <laughs> what what's a theory or a framework that's named after someone that you know? Not like you know them personally, but like... Um, isn't... Well, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. I mean, I guess, do people still use that in their... I guess yeah, that's people talked about. still yeah. use it. Yeah, true. That's named after. Yeah. Like, why did it have to be... But it was like Maslow... He could have just called it like... Hierarchy of needs. Yeah, so society's hierarchy of needs. Yeah, but it's Maslow's. Like, he, he Do you think... It. Maybe that's just an old, like old research thing, you know, like, back in, like, the 1920s, like, people were, like, yeah, you had to, like, I mean, you couldn't, like, go online and search up who came up with things, so they kind of had to, they had to, like, put their name on it, you know? Yeah, maybe that's why it's kind of changed. Tonight. Yeah, nowadays it's, now like, it's like, or maybe you know, the, actually... the, the rigorness of citations, you know, like, now you don't need the name in the theory because you'll just cite the theory. Maybe also the world is getting bigger, so there's so many. There's too many Keatons in the world that they would just <laughs> you would confuse them. <laughs> Be like, which one? Is I would want if I came up with a framework ever. I would want it to like have a cool acronym though. Like, I wouldn't want something that like is just like you know something something theory you know like i'd want it to have like an acronym that everyone just drops like ipa that's cool whoever came up with that like (laughs) they probably could have named interpretive phenomenological analysis something else but they thought they were like no ipa and so now you know researchers are just out here being like i love ipa and everyone's like i love ipa too and they're like let's go for ipas and talk about ipa Dilemmas. You gotta think about this stuff, man. You guys, you guys ever make a framework? You gotta think about the acronyms. You gotta think about what it's named. Does it sound cool? I think you answered your own dilemma. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I won't, I won't put my name in it, but I will yeah, make it cool. But you will make it cool. Yeah. So, who is the sponsor of this episode? Or oh. what is the sponsor? Well, we have a few options. We could do crying. We could do... um. <laughs> Uh, IPAs. <laughs> IPAs. All I, IPAs of all kinds. Um, um, so thank you, IPAs, whether you're a theory or a beer. <laughs> we appreciate you for being there. Should we go for IPAs now? I'd be down. Yeah. Yeah.